1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, another win for the Nets. Eight straight road wins. And tonight it was over the Pacers. 124-115. How are we feeling after this one? Or should I say, what's popping, Jack? In the words of the great Nick
2: Claxton. What's popping? Brand new. Look. So I'm, I've got a new song, a remix of Clack City now. Take me down to the Claxon City where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. That's a uh, a for those Guns N' Roses fans out there to take on Paradise City, but it's Klaxon City because I'm in paradise watching this dude play, my dude. Jack, you're an artist out here. You're
1: hitting different genres on the buzz, you know, bringing that different element to the show. Plenty to talk about today. A great win for the Nets. As always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, where do you want to start with this one?
2: I think the place to start is... The first quarter, the Nets were really lackadaisical. They had like a 15-point deficit at that sort of point. Where, did it, where was it going wrong in that first period?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of things went wrong. I think the Nets' effort level to start the game wasn't very good. Uh, a couple of mental mistakes early on. And I think the combination of Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan, the starting lineup, just was kind of exposed a little bit in this one. DJ didn't play well. Bruce Brown just really struggled with his floater in this game. And Landry Shamit didn't feel aggressive enough. So just that unit overall didn't start the game with good energy. And they just didn't play well. And sometimes that's tough to just get over the hump. And I think you know Steve Nash made adjustments later in the game that really helped the Nets win this one.
2: The lineup change to put Landry Shaman in with the start has really increased that spacing, and Jeff Green come off the bench. Man. What did you think of that decision?
1: You know, I didn't hate the decision. I think the problem still is, though, which we've talked about on previous shows, is just that spacing of Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan, especially if Brown's not hitting his floater, and he's kind of struggled in the second half of the season these last few games, just missing shots that we typically saw him make almost, you know, automatic early in the year. So if Bruce Brown's not hitting that floater, it's really hard for the Nets to generate offense at times because they can stick to those shooters. And it really only takes like a guy and a half to defend DJ and Bruce Brown because they're so limited offensively with their spacing.
2: Yeah, and look, I still, in in the game, parts of the game that I was lucky enough to watch, I still think Bruce Brown, despite being negative 12 out there and three of 10 from the fear, did get to the line six yep. times, Nick. I think his aggression was still good and that shot is going to fall. It's like James Hunt with that three-point shot. Yep. You know, it's only two of nine tonight. I, I'm still confident in what he has done and what he's produced previously and that I think, like you alluded to, it's a, a carbon copy of what we said on previous podcasts. Bruce Brown and DJ can't be on the floor together. There were times tonight where Bruce Brown was using some of his point guard skills, given, throwing some love to DJ and stuff and it was like, okay, maybe this can work. But ultimately, it's either got to be Jeff Green or it's got to be Klax because they just provide so much more balance and cohesion on both ends of the floor for for those units. And again, the the backups, again, stood up, Nick. But yeah, I think once you see the, the balance provided and Steve Nash being a bit more proactive with these lineups rather than reactive, as we saw in the sort of first period with those rotations and such, that's when good things happen for this team.
1: Yeah, and I think the switching with Jeff Green and Nick Claxton was so much more efficient. Then the switching we saw with Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan. At times, DJ didn't switch. Or if he did, he just didn't really have the juice tonight. And I thought Claxton, you know, I mentioned to you in the DMs, just was really, really good on ball in this game. I thought, you know, this was an elite game from him in terms of on ball defense. Locking up Karisavart a couple times. You know, locked up TJ McConnell, who's not a great offensive player, but he's very shifty and low to the ground. I thought Claxton did a nice job on him. Brogdon even had a couple nice possessions on Sabonis. Just the difference between Claxton and DeAndre Jordan this game, Jack, really was so huge. Like, the gap was just there, and that was maybe even the difference in the game, and you kind of see some of that with a plus-minus.
2: It's not in day, Nick. Nicholas Claxton, 23 minutes, 5 of 10 from the field, had eight boards, plus 24, 11 points, two blocks as well. DeAndre Jordan in 20 minutes, 5 of 5 from the field, did have 10 points, but only the five boards and minus 16 uh, in those minutes that he was out there. My heart was torn when you posted that clip of him (laughs) locking up Karis Levert. I'm loving the chemistry that Clax and James Harden are are building together. Seems to me that James Harden loves developing young bigs under his own tutelage and turning them into goddamn superstars a la Clint Capella style. It's something that we're incredibly lucky to have this at our hands now Nick because if there was no Claxton then the Nets would be struggling in a lot of respects with their big man rotation and there are the rumors that we've chatted about before about adding you know an Andre Drummond adding a JaVale McGee and such but Claxton gives you a differentiation with the skill set he does provide and was this his best game defensively Nick because we've seen spurts and we did finally see him crack that 20-minute mark, which is something we wanted to see. And as uh, he did mention what's popping, which is just <laughs> goddamn awesome. We can't love this kid more than anyone else. But also Steve Nash made a, a really sort of salient point that we've sort of talked about. It's about maintaining the balance. We don't want to overextend him. And you can see him still at moments getting yep. gassed because what he does do in terms of the versatility and his individual skill set, requires a level of exertion that DeAndre Jordan, he could play 40 minutes in his game because he's just standing there and stationary, whereas Klax is moving so many parts of his body. 20 minutes for him is like 60 minutes on a DJ game.
1: Yeah, it's really high energy, especially the mobility and the you know movement of his feet, especially when he's sliding, trying to you know defend these guards in space, like you said. And the effort level is there because you also see him sprinting in transition. But I want to touch on a point that you mentioned before, Jack. His chemistry with James Harden is really improving. I think he, there was a play in this game. I posted a clip on my Twitter. It just looks like a basic oop. But you see him reading Sabonis. And he's like, oh, Sabonis is going to shift over here to help on James Harden. Let me get to the other side of the rim. Give Harden the option to throw me the oop. There we go. When early on, we saw plays with Claxton where it got a little congested in the paint because he wasn't really sure where to go with James Harden or Kyrie Irving. Now he's starting to get a feel for that situation. Then obviously, if you sprint in transition, you're going to get buckets. And Nick Claxton, honestly, might be the fastest center in the NBA.
2: That's Look, I'm, there's a part of me wants to argue with you, but I, I'm not arguing with you, man. I'm I think on so it.
1: Well would be a guy that I think is really fast as well. He doesn't necessarily sprint as much, but I'm trying to think of centers that would really be faster than Nick Claxton.
2: Bam has some speed, but it seems more that I would trust his more endurance and and yep. Claxton's quickness. And it's because, like you know, he, he's just look. We our our superstar on our team coined the the word unicorn with so many different big men, with Chris Apps, and such. We might have one in ourselves. I mean, he's a goat. He's a unicorn. He's some type of farm animal that is just so damn unique, Nick. And. I want to ask you, what was Don't your
1: favorite a farm animal so damn unique?
2: <laughs> Don't mean to be derogatory, though. I mean, unicorns are clearly farm yeah. animals in um, fantastical lands and, and fantasy lands. What was your favorite play from him tonight, Nick? Was it a defensive play? That block on Sabonis was nasty. You, you, you alluded to, like, his quickness and speed there. That recovery speed, oh, my God. He's turning into, like, Kyrie Irving on the defensive end with the amount of highlights that he's giving us.
1: Yeah, he's like a defensive unicorn to an extent in the way that he's playing because of the switchability, because of the shot blocking. But that was probably my favorite favorite play, the block on Sabonis, because we haven't necessarily seen a lot of the center traits. You know, we've kind of talked about that a few episodes ago. We've seen a lot of the on-ball defense, but some of the center stuff, the shot block and the weak side rim protection hasn't fully been there. So those type of plays always pop. And like you said, he really came out of nowhere. Sabonis thought he had an easy layup. He didn't even see Claxton coming, and he sent that. And great hustle play by James Harden for saving the ball.
2: I think, yeah, and look, again, James Harden, Nicholas Claxton, and we'll get to James Harden in a little bit. Don't worry about that. But Nicholas Claxton seemed to play a more pure center role within his own skill set as well. He still showed the versatility to be able to get out on the perimeter, but then added those center skills that we know he does have. It's yep. not as uh, strong as soon as like a Rudy Gobert or a, a Jonas Valanciunas or these sort of like prototypical rim-protecting centers and, and offensive centers. But he's rebounding today, Nick. You know, those offensive boards as well. I think that's just an easy differentiator. If Claxton's getting those boards and showing the aggression, showing the athleticism there, sort of what we sort of saw saw in the growth from Jared Allen, that's when you know it's just like, man, this guy's going to be an amazing center for many years to come.
1: Yeah, Jack, there was a play in this game where he used his speed to get, you know, essentially a hustle rebound. You know, it's one of those rebounds that kind of just bounces. No one's there. It's a loose ball he got there before Sabonis again using that athleticism and also just using that hustle that high energy like he always wants the ball he's just like a a pure baller like there's just some people who just like play to win the game all the time and like every single minute and second of the game matters to the highest extent to them and Claxton's one of those guys like you can just tell he wants to win and he's also used to being a bigger part of teams. so i think like any opportunity he has to touch the ball like he's gonna try to capitalize on that and obviously he still plays within his role but like when he can he's gonna grab that thing
2: yeah you look you, you're confident whenever the ball is near him. you know a yeah. lot of centers it's just like you want them finishing the plays. whereas Claxton can create plays he can be a part of plays. he can you know dish the ball out. he's just cohesive and 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 such a such an anomaly in terms of the position that he does play at and a lot of that does go to his college experience and such. but Nick, going forward, We sort of talked about the balance in not overextending a Nicholas Claxton that Steve Nash alluded to, which is as much as we want to see Nicholas Claxton play 30, 35 minutes a night, I don't think he's at that point yet. How do you think it it sort of pans out and how do you think that Steve Nash does ramp it up while also not going too far with Claxton and sort of being like, okay, give him 30 minutes, but he ain't ready for that yet because he he might turn into a net negative in in certain respects because of the energy that he does use
1: yeah and i think also he's still a little undersized to bang with guys you know what i mean like so bonus if you had to deal with him for this full game i think maybe we'd be looking at it a little bit differently just because he's a physical presence claxon doesn't necessarily have that in his game i mean jack i'm not really sure you want to play Claxon 30 minutes this season like there's still some concern him coming back from injury you have different options out there maybe you set the cap at like 25 28 he has dealt with a couple things and he's you know this season and a half so you want him to be 100 for the playoffs because he's going to be a real tool. Like, I I knew that he had potential to be this tool, but I am 100% confident at this point in time that he will get playoff minutes and he will have impact in a playoff series because not only of his, you know, offensive game that he has with that lob threat with James Harden, but defensively, you know, he might, I think he might be the Nets' best defender.
2: I mean, yeah, it's Jeff Green, it's Kevin Durant, it's Nicholas Claxton. And, At least in pure
1: talent. Like, he's not there from the fundamental standpoint. And, you know, like, Jeff Green and Kevin Durant obviously have those reps. But in terms of just, like, pure talent and potential on that end of the floor, like, this has just been really fun to watch. I mean, I get, like, literally a little bit of Jonathan Isaac vibes.
2: And, look, Jonathan Isaac is a a perennial and will always be a perennial all-defensive candidate. And Nick Claxton's putting himself in that conversation with the, the versatility that he does have and the talent to do so many things on the defensive side of the floor. It's like a... Look, I'm not comparing him to one of the best defensive players in the game, Ben Simmons, but a part of me is because Ben Simmons can do so much in guarding so many different positions, but Nick Claxton can also rim protect, so he can't necessarily maybe do as much as Ben Simmons can. I think Ben Simmons has better physicality than Nick Claxton does, but I think that's going to improve for him as well. This is, at this point in time, Nick, this is like, you know, you love the Dragon Ball Z, I love Dragon Ball Z. This is like version 1 of Cell, we ain't even at perfect Cell version yet, and like we're getting Gohan Super Saiyan 2 versions of Nicholas Claxton in spurts and in games, and man, it's goddamn as exciting, I I can't I can't, I put about like 8 tweets tonight about Nicholas Claxton, because there's just something about him that just excites me, and excites Nets fans, and it's just intangible it makes the viewing experience awesome, and you know, whenever he's out there, you know something's gonna happen
1: yeah, and to be honest, you're not supposed to have players like him on a team like this. Like, you just don't have this type of talent, like young Town on a team when you have three superstars in James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. Like, this is a guy that's always in the trade. And we brought it up, you brought it up a couple episodes ago, did the Nets dodge a bullet with Nick Claxton not playing early in the year? They really did, because there's no way he's not included in the James Harden trade. So it was just kind of a blessing in
2: disguise. Yeah, so sometimes... To win championships, to build foundations, you've got to have luck along the way. You know, you get your Bruce Browns, you get you keep your Nicholas Claxton's, all these different things. You know, you look at the previous iterations of championship teams. The the Golden State Warriors don't get Kevin Durant unless Stephen Curry's ankles aren't shot to shit in the early points of his
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
2: careers so maybe Nicholas Claxton is our point of differentiation where it's just like man they shouldn't have him they're lucky and it's like Golden State they shouldn't have Kevin Durant they're lucky to have him it, it, it couldn't I'm not saying again I, I'm making a lot of outlandish comparisons tonight but Nick Claxton has me has me feeling that way Nick and we could talk about it for the entire episode but we probably should talk say about one more
1: thing Jack and I know like we try to just focus on the one game but I think just like moving forward there's so much excitement because obviously Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden are going to be here next year. Like what is the jump that Nick Claxton's going to make in this offseason? Like it could be really something incredible and it could be just adding a huge piece to this team but like you said Jack let's talk James Harden who was an MVP tonight.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
2: Absolute MVP, Nick. Uh, uh, he just, just keeps just impacting and winning and getting triple doubles. It's just like, he's like Russell Westbrook, but an impactful version of it. and. <laughs> He's he's already like got more, or he doesn't already, but he's like a a triple-double away from tying Jason Kidd's record in the space of like 25, 30 games in, uh, in the one franchise, 40 points, 13 or 27 from the field, got to the line a lot, old school James Harden, 12 or 14 from there, 15 dimes, 10 boards, two steals, only two turnovers, I thought he was better. In, in that and in, in was sort of said in previous games he had like 6 or 7 and such so I think his control uh, of the game and steadiness was, was much debated there also led the team in plus minus plus 25 if James Harden isn't top 3 in the MVP now this is me being objective he should be around LeBron, Embiid, Jokic if he's not in that top 3, top 4 conversation then you haven't watched Brooklyn Nets basketball it's just plain and simple
1: yeah, it really is. And obviously, MB dealing with the injury, that could kind of help James Harden's case. The Denver Nuggets not winning enough games, that could help James Harden's case. I think LeBron right now is probably his main competition, especially with Anthony Davis being out. But these type of games really help your MVP resume. You know what I mean? A 40-point triple-double when your other star is out, and oh yeah, that guy Kevin Durant is out too. And you still beat a solid Pacers team. I know the record's not amazing, but they've been playing a little bit better late with Karis Avert coming back. So... This is just really incredible stuff. And it's also to the point where there really was no other playmaker on the Nets tonight. Like, nobody else was creating for others. It was a lot of just James Harden, you're going to have to do everything tonight. And he did. He did it for 42 minutes of this game. I mean, the guy sat for literally five minutes and 53 seconds. (laughs) Like, he put the team on his back and got the dub in a comeback fashion. It's just as incredible to watch. And like you kind of pointed out, Jack, he's just constantly making guys better and taking their game to the next level.
2: Where does his durability and consistency rank, Nick, in terms of players in the league, in terms of his individual skills? Because I don't think that there is a more consistently durable and productive player that we have seen in the modern era. And this is going back to the Houston Rockets where he'd be playing, he'd leave the league in minutes, getting triple doubles, you know, getting 10 threes a night. And it's just... It's incredible because we saw it from afar and now we're seeing it up close and it's just like we should have known it and we and it's just like it's the same things happening again but you can't help but just once you're seeing it in person up night after night after night, the durability is just something that amazes me.
1: Yeah, I really want to knock on wood very loudly right now but my dog's going to bark so I'll just do a little slight one for you. <laughs> Jack's got me covered over there. I mean, it's LeBron-esque, right? LeBron's the only other player I can think of that constantly carries teams on a regular basis and doesn't miss games and puts up great production. There's really not any other player in the NBA that's done at this level this consistently other than LeBron James and James Harden has been right behind him the last couple of years. Obviously, it hasn't maintain, maintained during the postseason, but in terms of regular season success, James Harden has been right there constantly being you know, arguably the best player in the NBA the last few seasons.
2: This is what MVPs do, Nick. You know, when the, the chips are down and the odds are against you, you don't have two of your three best players and, you know, you're, you're coming back from a 15-point lead. It's, 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 look, it's not as great as the Phoenix Suns' performance because that was just something that was going to go down in history and in our memories as one of the best performances by an individual like Brooklyn then ever. But his ability to be like, you know what? Most guys would be like, okay, I'll sit it out. I'll, I'll get my 30 minutes tonight. This is the night I get my rest. Whereas James Harden's like, no. Nah, Give me 42 minutes. I'm bringing this team back. I'm getting them on my shoulders. Nick is going to hit a heap of shots. Jeff Green's going to hit his shots. And Tyler Johnson's going to be a nice little running mate for me uh, to get us back in this game because, man, he is, I, I can't marvel enough about, I think he's improved leadership, Nick. I, I yeah. think Brooklyn is giving him that opportunity to showcase his leadership in a way that, in a, in a different way to what he did show in Houston.
1: Yeah, and I think also it's just being showcased a little bit more. You know, you've heard some media people talk about, like, hey, James was doing this stuff in Houston, but guys weren't really talking about it or they were just kind of showcasing more of the negative aspects. And I also just think the mesh of leadership from all three guys between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and James Harden is almost a perfect fit. And it's so funny as that was the biggest concern of so many different people going to the trade. And I'm not saying they were wrong to have that concern. It's just like it's been the complete opposite. It's like they're almost a perfect fit. James Harden's happy being vocal and talking about guys and calling each other out. Kyrie's kind of more of that in between, and KD almost kind of minds his own business, but when he does talk everybody listens, and I think that's kind of a perfect role for James Harden, KD, and Kyrie.
2: Yeah, there's a symbiosis, not to go all fancy teacher on (laughs) on everyone right now, but there is a chemistry and, and synergy between those three leading this team, and you know, it, if you want a perfect um, example of it, the last game against the Detroit Pistons, Kyrie Irving's given DJ the biggest hug in the world, and then he moves five steps later. He's talking to James Harden. James Harden's like, okay, you've got to move here or else you're not going to be able to get to that shot or whatever. And it's just like, that is, if you want to do, have a, a perfect example of the Brooklyn, on a leadership style and, and, and how it's sort of been happening with our superstars, that's it right there. All of these guys are, pro- are being productive and allowed to flourish because... They're bringing their individualness and their individual style, leadership, playing, and just personality on this team. And everything is just working around them, and it's just fitting in like a glove.
1: And it seems like they really like each other, like they're actually friends. You know what I mean? And I think that's an underrated aspect. You know, not to talk about another Eastern Conference team, but there's been so much talk between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid like they're they're they don't not like each other but they're not great friends and there's been talk about that maybe being part of the issue in philadelphia i'm not saying it is but that's just something to consider there but getting they back to Gian- been
2: living together i think recently which is probably them no, trying I thought to go- that, i think that was a joke jack i think that was a joke oh my bad my bad but <laughs> i think what you're saying in 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 that sense is because it all seems natural right now in this next team it's just like there's this flow, there's this energy, there's this intangible nature to the Brooklyn Nets team that is what is starting to form the habits and what's making them such a team that everyone wants to watch and everyone is salivating over because James Harden does his thing and Joe Harris is doing his thing, Klax is doing his thing, Tyler Johnson, what's popping with, with him as well up, coming off up the pension stuff. We're going to, man, we need to get Jack Harlow. We wanna, Jack Harlow's more of a Miami Heat fan. And he's talking about Tyler Hero and stuff, but man, if he starts watching uh, the real Tyler, TJ, uh, maybe he might uh, switch allegiances, but Nick, it, I can't say enough good things about how James Harden... We don't... As much as I love Karras Avert, and it was just so goddamn when seeing Cornrow Karras uh, in the pinstripes tonight, if, you, if you, do it, you do the trade a million times out of a million, despite my hesitancy uh, initially as well, uh, James Harden is just... He's a one-man wrecking ball. This is like the Houston Rockets version of James Harden, where he's just like, I can win any game, any regular season game, no matter what it is. And that helps you because you, you win and you just, you breathe this energy. You breathe this enthusiasm. You breathe this desire to not want to lose again. And the Nets have won 14 of 15. And that is absolutely goddamn incredible because none of, one of those games we had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving's missed games here and there. So a lot of the brunt of that responsibility has been on James Harden and he has relished it and then sucked.
1: Yeah, he really has, Jack. And just kind of talking about another aspect of his game, I think his ability to read the defense and understand how they're going to play him in certain situations is huge. You know what I mean? And also that chemistry with Jeff Green, I think that's an under underrated aspect, especially in games like tonight. We saw that combination have a lot of success in the fourth quarter. You know, they doubled James Harden. Okay, I'm going to hit Jeff Green on the short roll, and he's going to try to murder uh, Sabonis every single play. So that type of chemistry and that juice, and then you saw them roll um, roll out the inverted pick and roll where jeff green would use harden as a pick to get the switch that they wanted so that chemistry that cohesion i think that's an underrated aspect and we talked about a lot this a lot in the offseason when the harden trade happened happened there's so many different connections on this team you know what i mean between Kyrie and kevin durant between james harden and kevin durant between james harden and mike d'antoni james harden jeff green jeff green and kevin durant you know what i mean there's just it's almost like a spider web of all these different relationships
2: definitely and Look, Jeff Grimm was in his bag tonight, man. Yep. And despite having had that little bit of a sore, sore shoulder, you know, he did get to the line. He was still incredibly aggressive. Didn't take the threes, but he didn't need to because he had 15 points, nine boards and three assists. And in only 30 minutes, I like that number for him. I don't want him to be overexerting himself because he's, he's. I mean, I'd love it to be about that 25, 28 range. But hopefully when we get another center in here and KD comes back, we can lessen his load a little bit too. But yeah, he was just in his bag tonight. There was just yep. some nights where it's just like, Wait, are you James Harden right now? With little, like, that like, behind the back dribble and stuff. I was just like, Uncle Jeff's got some moves. He's got a bag, dude.
1: Yeah, he really does. I mean, again, you know, the vet minimum signing, this guy has been excellent for the Nets. I think also from a leadership perspective, we talked about James Harden. I think everybody really respects Jeff Green. I think he's also a big factor out there in terms of communication defensively. Obviously, we're not at the game, so we can't necessarily know for a fact, but it just seems like he, the defense is better when he's out there, especially in terms of switching. He also sees like, hey, shit, Tyler Johnson has uh, Sabonis in the post. Let me switch that real quick before they attack that mismatch. And I think Jeff Green has been really good at kind of just, helping the entire Nets defense be
2: better at times. He, he's such an important part to what the Brooklyn Nets do, especially defensively. Yes, he's an important offensive weapon, and you know his intelligence and just ability to manipulate angles and just know what plays need to be run. And like you mentioned, his chemistry with just players across the floor, he just slots in perfectly no matter where he is. So you yep. can't say enough good things about what Jeff Green does. And in saying that, I also love the chemistry between Joe Harris and James Harden. And those guys haven't even played together before.
1: Yeah, no, there is some great chemistry there. I think he understands like, hey, Joe is an elite three-point shooter. He's going to help me, you know, open up space for myself. And then he's going to create, you know, winning plays for this team. And Joe hit some big shots in this game. I thought he played some solid defense in this one, too. I really liked the way he played. I thought, you know, he hasn't necessarily, I don't think he was great in probably the last two games, if I'm not mistaken. At least up in,
2: him, I think, Nick, defensively, this paces team.
1: Yeah, they're, it's also because, like, they don't really have a ton of attackers or, like, slashers that really can exploit you. Like, Karras is probably their best one, and he's not 100% right now. And Malcolm Brogdon's a little bit slower, and I think Joe's okay with that because he can match that physicality. And I also think they're boys, so he has a little extra going against him. So that always helps, too. But really like what Joe played tonight. I thought, you know, the team needed somebody to really step up, and he was one of the guys that did
2: oh man and it started all pre-game when we saw our two favorite players connecting at the tip and joe harris just giving him a little nudge like you you suck my guy and oh man my heart exploded i I don't know how i can deal with that i think that's gonna be it's a gift that i love and i love to hate at the same time it was bittersweet it's it's bittersweet it's a, a really good way to put it but yeah that clutch three at the end of the third was it nick
1: Yeah, he had one in the third. He had some in the fourth. I just felt like every shot Joe Harris hit in the second half was meaningful because it was a close game, and the Nets were constantly trying to come back. It was 2 points, 6 points, 8 points, then back to 4, then back to 2, and then the Nets finally got over the hump, and Joe Harris was a big part of that. 36 minutes, almost 37 minutes tonight.
2: Yeah, and look, 19 points for him, 4 boards, had a dime, had a steal, 5 or 7 from 3, so... You know, an absolute flamethrower, getting back to his absolutely dominant form from there, 7-11 from the field. And a big reason why the, the Nets were able to outscore the Pacers 66-54 to in the second half, including yeah. 35-24 to in that final quarter, where I thought the defense did did click up a little bit. And, you know, you saw guys like Claxton, Jeff Green, Joe Harris, and that lineup with, with James Harden as well. It just all fits absolutely seamlessly. And, man... Joe is just so goddamn reliable, even like you like you alluded to. The Pistons aren't a great matchup for him, and it's not to say that the, the Pistons are an amazing team, but they just have a heap of athletes and a heap of quickness yep. about him, a heap of length, which would disrupt anyone, let alone a guy like Joe Harris who doesn't have those physical gifts like a Nicholas Clax and like a Jeff Green and like the Kevin Durant does have. So, look, uh, other than James Harden, he played the most minutes, and the reason why he did was because he was that goddamn important.
1: Yeah, I mean, the lineup of Tyler Johnson, James Harden, Joe Harris, Nicholas Claxton, and Jeff Green, that was the best lineup tonight. And it just makes sense. Like, if you thought about that lineup, putting it out there in 2K, if you're playing, you're like, oh, this lineup's probably going to pop off a little bit. There's some spacing here. There's some versatility. There's a switchy if we have some hustle players in here. I thought Tyler Johnson also played a really good game tonight. I just, I really love the energy he provides. He's like a less annoying version of TJ McConnell. And he yeah, can shoot and- the three.
2: Yeah, and, he, and he's a more athlete. I think both of those guys are, are, are important cogs to what you need on on, on solid, successful teams. Yep. You need just roll guys, glue guys. Shout out to those who are doing some awesome podcasts, uh, including so damn uh, jealous yeah. about getting Bruce Brown on the pod. Um, Bruce, open uh, BBB. You know, that's going to make an awesome episode, mate. We'll uh, change Bruce name. Brown. <laughs> but We'll change the name of this goddamn podcast. We'll name it after you if you come on, my guy. But in saying that, I'm Tyler Johnson Nick. The hair's looking great. His game's looking even better because what he's doing right now for this team is, I said in, in previous episodes, in the last one, the previous one before that, it's just like, look beyond the box score when you're watching Tyler Johnson play. Tonight, you look at the box score and it looks pretty goddamn nice. 15 points, four boards, two steals, at five or six from the line, two or six from free, four or nine from the field. He is just a, a really good fifth guy to have, you know, in whatever lineup it is, because he gives you little spurts of everything, a little bit of shooting, a little bit of secondary playmaking. Little bit of athleticism, little bit of pesky defense. He he just does a lot and I know it started in in the bubble and thank God that Sean Marks is in love with Tyler Johnson. Yeah,
1: really, because he's been a great, you know, part of this team, and he, like you said, Jackie, but just provides that element that they kind of miss sometimes, just that little energy boost. And also, I give him a lot of credit because he's willing to bang with bigs down low, and he's not a big guy. He's might be the smallest guy in the Nets other than Cristioza. Like, and he'll <laughs> battle with Tyler Johnson. He'll battle with Sabonis. He'll stick his head in there, take some mean shots during the game, get the deflections that your team needs. So, a lot of respect for Tyler Johnson and what he does. Obviously, when guys are back, he might be out of the rotation, but he's always somebody good to have when you. You need that energy boost
2: yeah and look th- th- he's fighting and I think that that's what he's he's fighting to earn those minutes because you know he's gonna be fighting Landry Shamit Bruce Brown those sort of guys he was better bail- than
1: Shamit they- tonight
2: he was better than Shaman tonight. He was better than Bruce Brown tonight. Yep. He was certainly better than TLC tonight. And I don't know how much we want to talk about the negatives, Nick, but you know, Landry Shaman, I think it was just uh, just an off game for him yep. um, despite starting. He did deserve the start given his recent form. Bruce Brown, we've already talked a, a little bit about. But TLC, man, I don't know how you won you minus 17 in seven minutes.
1: Yeah, Jack, we tried to be nice in the last show. We're like, you know, maybe maybe TLC is a little undervalued, but, you know, I understand why Nets fans were upset tonight. It was... It was some of the worst minutes I've seen him play in his entire career. I don't know if he's injured, he's rusty, he's out of his funk, but just there was one play where he was trying to dribble the basketball, and I'm not an elite basketball player. I'm not going to sit here and say that I am, but I would have been able to handle the ball a lot better in that situation. It's just some things are just really confusing. Like, I just don't know what's clicking in his head at times and what he's doing. So hopefully he can get it back together. I also want him to, like, go down to the G League and play a couple games. I don't know if that's even allowed, but he needs to get his rhythm right.
2: Yeah, look, I put out on Twitter and I got a flame for it. And you know, I'll happily eat my own words in terms of saying that, like, you know, he's not as bad as everyone thinks. And tonight he was. Tonight he, he was, was maybe worse than what everyone thinks tonight. He was worse, Nick. And and I, I do like the fact that Steve Nash was like, "Nah, you, you're not playing here, mate." You know, he was that bad in the first quarter, and, and a big reason why we why we were were so down after that first period. And you know, it, it now I think Playboy Claxon or someone on net's Twitter puts out every single time. Uh, we see TLC play 10 minutes or less than that's like 11-0 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that adds to the stat. And look, part of me just wants TLC to get this back. Not just for the naysayers, but because I actually I believe in what he is. I believe in the prototype of what TLC is. A guy who has some defensive chops, a guy who can hit a three ball. But it's all the other things that he does that it's just like, no, we don't need you to do that. We have all these other players that can do those things. Stick to what you... Look, not to be like high school musical here and stick to what you know, but we don't need him to do all the other little things, Nick, because we have so many other players that can do what he needs. You know, just take a, a leaf out of Bruce Brown and Tyler Johnson and Landry book. They are role players, and you are a role player as well, TLC. If you, main, if you maintain your ability to play your role, as he has done in maybe four or five games this season... You will get minutes. Don't extend yourself, my guy.
1: Yeah, I think really what he has to do is just play really high energy defense without fouling, rebound the basketball, shoot open threes, run in transition, and pretty much never dribble the basketball. Just He just really struggles with that. I'm not sure. Maybe he needs a whole offseason of handles, but right now, he just that aspect of his game is not
2: there. It's just not. And look... I don't want to keep dumping and, and shitting yeah. on him because I, I want him to get back. And we're not those type of guys, um, that to sort of... And I think know. there is
1: a potential for him to have some type of positive impact if he can get back to that. And I don't know how much is the injury. I don't think he's been moving super well out there either. So that could be part of it. But <laughs> talking about another guy who didn't play well tonight, we kind of mentioned him earlier on. DeAndre Jordan just was moving slow. His switches weren't there. He just... It just was in a funk. I don't know if, like, DJ, after he plays a lot of minutes, the next game it almost feels like the Nets should arrest him because part of me wanted to see Reggie Perry out there instead of different points.
2: Dude, he was playing, like, he played, like, all of the first quarter, didn't he, Nelly?
1: I I don't understand that. Like, I just, I get it that, like, you want to give somebody rhythm, but DJ is, what, he's, like, 33 up there up there in age, has plenty of mileage on those legs, not super athletic, and I think it also hurts Nick Claxton at times, because then you're expecting Claxton to do the same thing, and I think any center playing a full quarter is tough. Like, you typically just don't play players full quarters unless they're superstars and it's a postseason game, so that's an interesting thing that Steve Nash does. I don't know if DJ prefers it that way, but I don't I don't really understand it myself.
2: Yeah, he played more minutes in the first quarter than he did for the rest of the game, the other three quarters combined, and it's, a, it's the first game uh, uh, that we saw Nicholas Claxton at uh, beat him in, in the amount of minutes played. Is that a trend going forward? I don't know. I think it will depend on form. And I think Steve Nash needs to be a little bit quicker in his yep. ability to go, okay, DeAndre, we don't need to play your 12 minutes in this opening period when we're down 15. And it. in all honesty, Nick, I think it's actually, it's, on paper, the Sabonis and Turner sort of matchups should suit him, but it just didn't.
1: Yeah, it was just like the Nets were kind of unsure what to do. And I think the Pacers did a good job of kind of exploiting it and understanding the Nets were going to switch and putting them in some weird situations. And just like... You know, sometimes his lack of engagement can be tough on the team. But like you mentioned, you know, I think one struggle that Steve Nash does have is he'll stick with lineups a little bit too long. Like I could have told you after the first quarter, the starting lineup was not good tonight. It was not having success. The the Pacers were able to exploit it. So why go to that same starting lineup in the third quarter and then go to it for, you know, six to eight minutes instead of swapping out early and understanding like, hey, I need to make a change. part of me felt like jack sorry to cut you off and part of me felt like steve nash was almost just trying to grind out these minutes because he knew that this lineup wouldn't work and he couldn't play these players and maybe he was trying to save them for the fourth i'm not really sure but it was just kind of weird minute management and lack of adjustment but he adjusted later on just i would have liked a little sooner
2: yeah you know obviously you you don't want to it's anyone's guess why i think it's more just steve nash has a, a general trust and and, and desire in these players to want to work through their their yep. inconsistencies, but, you know, it comes a point where it's just like, come on, man, the leash can't be that long uh, for, for guys like DeAndre Jordan, TLC, uh, uh, etc. So, you know, minus 16 for DeAndre Jordan in his 20 minutes. You know, you, you take out the minus 16 from DJ, the minus 17 from TLC, the minus 12 from Bruce Brown, minus 14 from Landry Shaman, and the ex- exceptional plus-minus numbers from the guys that we've talked about, Nick, are just are, are crazy. And if you had have given or maybe not Nicholas Claxton, but it's almost like you he probably played the maximum amount of minutes you would want to give to Tyler Johnson, to Nicholas Claxton, to Jeff Green, to Joe Harrison, to James Harden. It's just like, you when when are you ever going to play Joe Harris more than 35 minutes? James Harden, 42 minutes after the amount of minutes he's been playing is exceptional. Jeff Green's obviously working through his shoulder injury, so giving him more than 30 minutes doesn't make sense. We've heard it, we talked about Clarkson's minute management, and Tyler Johnson coming in the last time, he played 30 minutes or more. I think it's only been once or twice, maybe the three Phoenix times Suns this season. Yeah, and, and obviously, we saw what happened there, a bit of a carbon copy. So, I think that it was just trying to get a, trying to just juice to get the, you know, you're squeezing the orange as much as you can out of it, and it's just like, you keep squeezing, you keep squeezing, trying to get a little bit of juice out of it, until there's nothing left apart from those goddamn seeds, and I mean, ultimately, we got the win, and that's what matters.
1: Yeah, I think you're trying to steal minutes sometimes. And I obviously, as a fan, it's hard to know or even as like media or anything, understanding what the coach is thinking in the situation and who he wants to play and who he doesn't want to play. But I think just it was night and day, especially defensively with Claxton and uh, Jeff Green on the floor in comparison to Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan, which isn't super surprising, but just to the extent in which it was because we saw the, the Pacers score 40 points in the first quarter, second quarter, only 21, third quarter, 30 points, and then fourth quarter, 24. And funny enough, who played majority minutes in the second and fourth quarter, Claxton and Green.
2: Yeah, they're they're, as a defensive duo and an offensive duo for that matter. Um, They give us a a lot. So it'll be nice to add in Kevin Durant uh, for the next part of the season, whenever he is back, obviously in the next couple of weeks we heard Steve Nash alludes to that. So hopefully those are positive signs we are getting some timelines surrounding him, Nick. One thing I'm surprised about, Nick, I'm looking a bit at the the box score numbers for the team stats and the Nets destroyed on the, the boards 50 to 34 in that first quarter, I think it was something like, you know, 18 to like 10 or or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think also some of that first quarter too, Jack, was offensively the Nets were missing a lot of shots. And it was kind of a little bit of math. And then they started getting back to their normal numbers, made it a little tougher on the Pacers. But I believe the Nets had they had 15 offensive boards in this game. And the Pacers only had four, which is kind is of surprising.
2: Some, it's, it's something that we've probably talked about on, on the opposing side and, and it hurts the Brooklyn Nets in a lot of respects if they're not taking the, care of the defensive glass and the offensive glass is I mean, out of the, the the amount of games, the 41 games that we've played this season, I would assume that the Nets have lost the offensive glass uh, at least 20 plus out of those games, so it was a nice sign and I think it comes from guys like you know Nicholas Claxton, James Harden was decent there as well, a, a lot of these other guys it seemed there was a lot of good team offensive boards and you know, off. Off misses five for Jeff Green, five offensive boards for Jeff Green. So I think it was just a by committee sort of thing. And I think Landry Shaman got a cheeky little one as well to to get some points on the board for him. So I think that the mentality to to crash the glass uh, was something that was done really well tonight.
1: Yeah, and I thought a lot of them too were just some of those loose ball offensive rebounds, the ones that kind of take the weird bounce and like anybody can get it. And then that's got a lot of those tonight. And I think also the Pacers looking at the advanced stats are 26 in the league in rebound percentage. Which is kind of surprising since they do typically play, you know, a traditional front court. But Miles Turner was in foul trouble in this game, and he just played pretty poorly.
2: And look, it, it worked into the Nets' favor because I got flamed calling Jared Allen the the best pure shot blocker in the league, and had about a million Pacers fans jump in my mentions about Miles Turner, including full axis Pacers' very own Corey Waldron. I do get it. I know that Miles Turner is an amazing shot blocker and one of the best. It wasn't in the tonight. League, but- he was not tonight, and I think the, the Nets did a really good job of attacking the paint and showing purpose uh, in, their, in their offense, and James Harden really led the way in that, and you know his three-ball wasn't falling, only two of nine uh, from there. I have confidence that he will get into some sort of rhythm. I think some of it is tiredness, but the shots that he did take from there looked quite smooth, so I think he's going to get that back for him. But yeah, I, th- I thought the purpose and, and aggression to sort of make the Pacers defend in the, the final three quarters because... You have your first quarter 25 points. Then you have 33, 31, and 35. I think it was just one bad quarter, Nick, and good teams just put that behind them, and they bounced back in a big way.
1: Yeah, and they really did that tonight. And I also think, Jack, it was just kind of similar to the way they won the Phoenix Suns game and just kind of showcasing, like, hey, we can grind out games. Like, if our offense isn't straight cooking all the time, we can lock it up defensively and play really well. Because I want to say, from the first quarter on, the Nets outscored them 99 to 75 or something like that. So that's that's impressive stuff.
2: Yeah, it's it certainly is, Nick. And look, I'm I'm really happy the way this team is playing going forward. I, we can we maintain these habits and. You know, we might snag that one seed if the the Sixers actually could goddamn lose a damn game.
1: Yeah, they lost lost tonight, so we're tied for that one seed right now. And the Nets are on a six-game winning streak. And like we have mentioned before, Joel Embiid is out. Obviously, we wish him a speedy recovery because you always want to beat the best teams. But wouldn't be surprised if Philadelphia dropped a couple games. I thought Milwaukee actually looked pretty good against Philadelphia in that second half tonight. So it'll be an interesting race for that one seed throughout the rest of the season. But, Jack, always a pleasure. And big thanks, to everybody, for listening.